Welcome, everyone, to Episode 5 of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I am your co-host, Randy Cox, and sitting directly across from me is my lovely wife, Kristen Cox. How are you doing this morning, Chris? Good morning, and hello, everyone. So, Chris, before we get started, I'd like to spend about 30 seconds or so talking about one aspect of the live event that we have coming up later this month in the Salt Lake City area. This is a smaller event. We're keeping it small so that we can work really closely with the participants that come. We only have a few seats left. So without giving anything away, I understand you're going to be covering some new content, perhaps some evolved content in this event. Is that right? Yes. And I don't want to give it away here, but we'll be going into the uh, different areas where you need to understand where your problem is. Talk about that more today. A little bit more about understanding who your primary customer is and how to really get clear on what you need to deliver to solve that primary customer or your strategic customer's problem. So some new content with new twists and it's great for people who are new, but people who've been around it before, they're going to learn some new knowledge. Wonderful. So most of the year, um, for those of you who don't know, most of the year Chris is working working one-on-one with private clients. So this is our once a year public event where you can come and learn directly from Chris and her team without having to be a client. And you can learn more about that at uh, www.fulcrumsummit.com, and we hope you can join us. All right, so Chris, today's discussion is about the trap of more money. And just to give a little context, I would imagine this came up pretty early when you were starting to see the Seductive 7 patterns. I would imagine this is one of the early ones that came up because you had you were sitting as a budget director, you were over operations and exec- and. and the budget for the $20 billion executive branch for Utah. And you had people coming to you all the time making Yeah, pictures. I always said it was more difficult when we had a lot of money than when we didn't have a lot of money, when we had little money. Because people, when they see a lot of money on the table, requests just come out of the woodwork because they think there's abundance and infinite supply. Utah has had and continues to have a really good economy, pretty strong, robust, low unemployment, um, high labor, you know, just good on a lot of fronts, very diversified economy, and our revenue tends to be pretty strong. Uh, And even though we had all this revenue coming in, what I would see is for about every $1 we had of new money, there was $4 of requests. So we could spend $100, but we, you know, have 400, maybe five or $600 worth of requests coming in. So there's one truth is that there'll never be enough money to solve all of the problems um, or all the perceived problems, critical word that are uh, out there in our organizations. And when we jump to more money, the assumption is I'm as good as I can get with the resources I have. I'm already doing an excellent job. I'm maxed out and people feel this. They're, they're feeling this. They know there's something wrong because they're seeing their, their high turnover rates, their people are burned out, quality isn't great. They can't scale. They're not serving enough customers. There's backlogs. If you're in the private sector, you're not seeing the margins that you'd like to see. So, uh, you know, we feel like our lead times are too long and we can't deliver our, on, on our commitments. So we think, hey, we're already doing everything we can. People are super busy. They're maxed out. The only way is to get more of what we're already doing. So the question there is, is more of what you're already doing going to give you a breakthrough or just incremental progress? And this is visceral for people. I mean, this is, they're, they're feeling the pressure of not being able to keep up yeah. or whatever. They're seeing the request for more staff to come out, you know, across their desk and they're yeah. coming. Yeah. So it's really important to note that there is a point in time when you may need more money, 
So I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying there's some really critical work that needs to happen before that point. Because if you just keep doing what you're doing and get more of that, so you have 100 staff and you can get five more, and you're doing exactly what you're doing, you're, increment, you're just gonna have this incremental break or incremental progress. But we wanna step back and, and, and set aside the assumption that we're doing the best we can do with the resources we have. What if we just throw that away? We say, wait, there's hidden capacity. There could be a new offering, a new strategy, a way big improvement in operations. I may not know it yet, but I'm gonna assume it's there. Then we have to go back and rethink how we're doing our current work. And that's usually when you, you get the beginnings of the breakthrough, right? That's, the, that's now that you have a mind that's open to it. The moment you jump to more money, you've shut your mind down to alternatives. And I, like, I think it might be useful, like this came about for you personally when you knew there wasn't more money because it was in the 2008, 2009 economic mm. crash. And there was like, you knew the there wasn't going to be like some Just, magical yeah, more money. Bucket. And, and even if I took the money, I think it's really important for all of us, in, either in the public sector or if you're a private sector, you've got shareholders, employees. For every dollar you take, there's an opportunity cost to that. That means there's not a dollar being spent somewhere else. And maybe it's my, you know, guilty complex that comes from being you know, raised a Mormon, but I'm always thinking, and whenever I take money, is what's the opportunity cost? Uh, is there another agency that definitely needs this more than me, or I just haven't done the work? There's a steep opportunity cost for other people we impact when we take the money and put it in one area. Again, you may need it there, and you may have a very strong business case. I've just seen it a really easy mindset just to jump to that. It's much more difficult to go back and say, look, do we really know the real problem that we're trying to solve for our customer? And we, we're gonna talk a lot about that more in the Fulcrum Summit. We think we do, I'll tell you in most cases we don't. Um, do we really have clarity in our business model? Uh, you know, The structure we're using to deliver that uh, it could be that our product or offering is so expensive you can't s scale it. I've seen this a lot in evidence-based practices in government. They'll take on an evidence-based model. It works perfectly at a very you know clean academic environment, but it's so expensive you can't scale it. So you've really got to think at that level, what do I do differently? Do I partner with somebody different? A different way is uh, can I can I um, actually think about leveraging another audience or another group who has expertise in here? This is really about business model or my operations. And the challenge with operations, it's where all the money is spent, right? So you get the idea, you're really confident you have the right offering and business model and you go into operations. That's where all the money is. It is the connection between your commitment to the customer and delivering to the customer, fulfilling that commitment. Your labor, your policies, your measures, your equipment, your resources, your people, everyone, it's in operations and so much, and your, your all your overhead to manage the operations, right? And now a lot of times that's invisible to us or we don't have the skill set in operations in our organizations to understand it or we don't know where to focus. We're trying to solve multiple problems instead of the problem that will give us the best ROI and tell us where we need to organize and focus. There's endless challenges in operations and it is its own field of study. And when we don't understand that and we're kind of haphazard about it, we jump to more money. I've been in personally in probably 250 systems and now through teaching and watching other student projects, you know, I'm seeing 50 per semester plus. And all of these systems I'm seeing hidden capacity. 
Now, again, you could finally implement the right offering and the right business model and the right operations and feel that you need more money. And there's, again, a time and place for that. But there's a rigor that needs to happen before we jump to it. And don't you think, like, I think it was episode two when we talked about systems thinking. And we talked about, like, the, like, what you're saying here is, like, if you're, if you're, if you have blinders on at my agency or my division or my shop, and I, my job is just to get budget for my shop versus the whole system. And if I take a dollar that I don't really need, then I'm actually taking it from. Yeah, and you may think you need it. I think people's intentions are good. I don't think they come thinking they don't need it. They believe they do. And that's the hardest thing is if there's anything that people take away from this podcast is reject that mindset. Just reject it. Don't ever believe you are as good as you can get. We never are. We fix one problem and what we call the constraint may move. The market changes. Our policy and our oversight bodies have different expectations. And quite frankly, the problems and operations are endless. You can always be refining and improving your, your delivery mechanisms. So it is a humble mindset to say, and Dr. Goldrod talked about this, never say I know. It's just a fundamental mindset to say, I don't know it all. I do not have all the answers. There's expertise out there that I haven't yet figured out. And that beginner's mindset or the curiosity mindset versus I know it all, that's where we get into the more money trap. Because it's hard to say, I may just not know what I'm doing wrong here, what I'm missing. And that requires going out and looking for new knowledge or new information or making sometimes difficult changes. Right, so I, th- I think what you're saying is we may be doing things the best way we know how, yeah. but it's not the best way it can be done. Perfect, perfectly well said. And, and it's hard to admit that. The reality is that's true for all of us. All of us. It's, you know, this, the journey of science, which I think is fascinating when you look at the breakthroughs that have happened once the scientific method was adopted in society, it starts from asking, being curious, wondering, coming up with an hypothesis. It's not about knowing. We often think science is this you know, certainty factor that once we know this, we know everything because the data and the science tells us. But the essence of science is about exploration, about understanding and learning things we don't know yet, right? Now we get the information and we get certainty and then we go to the next level. It's such a mindset to say, I'm going to be curious and wonder what else can I be doing that I don't know about now. Well, they even embed it in the language like it's a theory. Yeah. So even if you're known for something, you're known for a theory, not truth, the, the fact or, you know, yeah, like, it's a theory because I understand it could, it's a, te- it's an assumption that theory over time it's been tested and it seems very viable, but we know that gravitational theory over time has changed and we don't need to get into science too much, but bottom line is, the antidote to um, more money is a humble mindset. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate you not getting into science because I wouldn't be able to follow you. Follow you on that, <laughs> well, so. I'm not, certainly not an expert. I just thank you for that. We we want the we want certainty, and it doesn't exist in the real world. So so let me switch gears real quick because I think there's an important point here, um, and I would I would like your I actually don't know the answer to this. I'd like your take whether this was specific to government or whether this would apply government, nonprofit, for-profit. But in the state of Utah, you actually had a mechanism where you didn't, you like you came to make your budget request to the same office that was also overseeing these operational excellence yeah, type I, changes. Yeah, I could go on this forever. I think 
we could do a whole podcast separate on why cost accounting sometimes runs counterintuitive to the kind of systems thinking we need in operations. And the reality is that our traditional budgeting or accounting approaches solve very different problems, and they do not and cannot reveal the causes of cost. All they do is capture the costs into different categories. And they can tell us about our financial health, right? Are we balanced? Do we have structural imbalances? Are we meeting our debt liabilities? What kind of liabilities do we have? Great if you're going to go to the bond market to issue debt for investors to understand. You just have the basics in place. But those budgeting tools are not designed to help us understand the causes of cost, which are things take too long, things get stuck, where's their poor quality, where am I having to have rework, why don't I have the right solution? I could have a really good operation and speed up stupid, like faster and faster at doing the wrong thing. That's why we want to look at prim- you know your primary customer and the offering. What are you bringing to them? So when we integrate the budget with operations, it helps us have more visibility into the causes of costs and start asking different questions. And we need the accountants. We need the traditional finance people. Uh, but unfortunately, those budgets and those budget tools aren't answering the questions that we need to answer when it comes to where's the money being spent in operations? Is it working well? If not, why not? And again, fundamentally, what are the causes of cost? You cannot see that in traditional budget spreadsheets um, and the tools that uh, private sector and public sector uses. But I guess I guess what I was driving at too is that you you had some teeth, so to speak. So if someone came to you with a request mm-hmm. and they wanted more money, yeah. you could say, "Well, have you tried?" Sure. And the teeth are great, um, but ultimately, you want people to use the tool because it helps them. Now that's hard because I can use my teeth and say no, which I would did did very often because you know some had you know the the agencies that would come forward with really strong cases and you see that they understood their operations you can see they have a track record of doing more with the resources they have um, there's a lot to help you understand if that business case is viable um, compared to others so yeah it's great in that sense because you can say no and make sure those finite resources are allocated to the areas where you feel there's more evidence that it's needed there um, but when you learn these these tools of how to find hidden capacity, what you'll find is you often don't need more money. And then when you do need it, you're credible because you've demonstrated time and time again what you can do with the resources you have before you go ask for more of them. And if you can't show results for what you already have, it's difficult to make the case that more of them is also gonna solve it. Unless you can you know, show why you know, you've taken over an office and you're the first at it and you can demonstrate why existing resources haven't worked, maybe it's completely the wrong strategy or it's an insufficient offering. But it just gives you credibility over time. Yeah, I, mean, I think if, if you and your team had been working with an agency for like three years and they have really been going for it and they've you know made a 22% increase or Im- improvement and then they come to you. Oh, yeah, we had examples. I mean, I remember one agency had, she was just fantastic and you know, for years, she absorbed, I think, an over a 40% increase in workload by applying the tools and the concepts of flow, et cetera. And there was a year when she did come and ask for more money, and she had a really strong business case, and the logic was there, and it, it was a new program, and she had gained credibility. Uh, you know, even though there's the hard science of business cases and budgets and everything, there is a soft science to that, and that is, you know, the factor of trust. And that trust happens because you've delivered what you said you were going to do multiple times with the resources you have. And that's just really important in, in this world, even private sector, public sector, 
So you have to earn your way to you be able earn to earn your way into to saying that I need more money. You yeah, can't just, I can't just be out of desperation or look how busy I am or look at my workload or look at you know, people on the wait list that aren't getting served and all of these what I call descriptive measures. They don't tell us what's going inside the black box. They just describe the black box. They're um, sometimes compelling and you feel deep empathy. You can see that there's definitely challenges in the system. No one's refuting that there aren't challenges in the system. The question is, what's the right tool? Budget is an input. It's a tool, just like technology or data. It's a proxy for buying time or equipment. And so when I understand that budget is an input, I've really got to understand what am I buying with it? What do I get from it? And it's not the end all be all. I got, you know, a million dollars, great, that's not it. It's what fundamental change is it allowing you to make or what breakthrough result is it allowing you to achieve because you've had that. And sometimes in the government world, we disconnect budget with program. You'll have program people who really understand budgets or you'll have business people who really understand sales. But there's not always a marriage between what did it cost to achieve the throughput, which is the completed work. You know, that same dynamic is happening and has been happening for years in the IT project management space, yeah. probably project management space in general. But I, when I was doing that, you know, it was very common for the project manager, just get the job done, the task yeah. done. We will take care of the budget at some other level. Yeah. And when you disconnect that, there's, it's a real problem yeah. because you don't see the you don't see the uh, well we disconnect we disconnect budget um, and and operations which is what does it cost me to deliver a completed product or service so the kid is safe from abuse and neglect the person actually received the furniture that was ordered within the schedule they said they would receive in two weeks so how much does it cost you to have that completed work product done the other thing we have a big disconnect in is um, overhead so we also often talk about, you know, uh, we have the executive offices and we've got data teams and we have IT teams and we have HR teams and we have training and leadership HR functions. We have all these different functions and they just kind of sometimes just grow. Not all the time. Sometimes they shrink, but you know, very often it's they feel busy, you know, and they feel like they have more resources because they've got to do more quality assurance and all that. But they're seldom held accountable in terms of, okay, let's say I have a $100 budget and, and you know 80% of that budget is tied up into direct services. The other 20% is tied up in you know quality control functions or training and HR and IT, all those different functions. And I have a leader who comes forward and says, I want to expand my quality control or my QC function and add you know five more people to it. Okay, that's fine, but you've now just increased the budget, which is an input. So if I increase my input, I better see more throughput. That's true over time and I see my overhead functions growing, I better see a direct impact to the quantity of people we can serve, right? Now, because of this new data system or the new quality control, they've seen insights, they found insights that now can scale across the organization. So I see higher throughput, you know, my demand, I can meet more demand, my quality's better. You know, I'm more accurate, I'm more reliable, I'm achieving more of the outcomes. Or I'm cheaper, right? Yeah, my quality control people have gone up by 10, but I'm now in operations and they found the causes of cost. Now we've created one new policy that fixes that at the root, and now um, our whole, all of our services are cheaper. But rarely is it measured like no, that. No, it's not. Overhead, 
management have all the best intentions and they can be hugely important, but they need to be accountable just like everybody else to results. Yeah. And so budget without results is just, you know. Well, especially if somebody's really going for it and they're proactive and they're, you know, in one of these overhead functions and they really are going for it and they are trying to expand their shop and their footprint. Yeah, and they have good intentions. They see right. work, they see capability, but the goal is not to build up distinct silos. It's for the system to improve. So now there's not like 80% of the money going to yeah. direct services. It might be 76 or yeah, 75%. And we, yeah, or, and we or, eat into, or we have... Uh, we've invested into our training teams and now they're out training, doing more trainings for the people in operations and the people in operations already spread thin. They don't feel like they have time to capacity to do the jobs they have, let alone take on one more training. So not only is there an opportunity cost of money not invested into direct support, but they often consume time from the direct support. Yeah. Yeah. So the budget piece is, you know, number one, have the humble mindset. Number two, you've got to marry budget and operations, right? You cannot see the causes of costs and budget. Um, and you've, you've got to understand that overhead needs to be accountable to the bottom line. And in your budget, as it is an input, if it's an investment in your direct su- support or your overhead functions, you've got to actually show a result. Yeah. And that's how you gain the final piece of this, the credibility that you actually have command and control of your system, of your agency, of your operations. You know how all the pieces play together. And that credibility over time pays off when you actually do need more money. Yeah. And I think just really quickly, you said the very first, one of the very first statements you said is there's a perceived need for money, yeah. not necessarily a real need. Mm-hmm. And I think even before you get all started on this journey, you probably have to say there is another option. Yeah. I, I may not know it. That's right, a yeah. humble mindset. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to start with the assumption that there's something there more I could do, and I've just got to I've got to work to pulling in that knowledge that I don't have. The breakthrough comes when we get knowledge we didn't have before, not just by doing more of the same. Right, right. And I think when I've seen you talk to people early on and say, "Look, what if you had 25 percent more capacity? Just what if, mm-hmm. or 40 percent more capacity with your existing resources?" would you still need to make that budget request or would you still need to, you know, do whatever? And they'd be like, no, that would be plenty. And yeah. So that's why it's going into your offering, your strategy, your operations and finding that hidden capacity. And there's a point where you may tap that out, but it's the, the challenge is hidden capacity is hard to find for a reason. It's hidden. If it were obvious, everyone would identify it and chase it. That's yeah, more like mining. It's, it's like, it's mining. tough to get. Yeah, it's more, it's, <laughs> it's only, there, it's but there. it's not You got to like mine for it a bit. It takes some mental gymnastics and energy to figure it out. It's a harder route. Money, quite frankly, is, is a lazy solution if that's what we jump to first. Gotcha. It's an easy way out. Go let ahead. Me, let me, I just want to add more thing. There's, there's this constant political debate about, sometimes you'll see um, Democrats wanting more spending, Republicans wanting less. And... I tend to be fiscally conservative, and here's why. Because I think you break that conflict, it's not difficult to break. If we believe we can actually serve more people who need it, who, who you know, we know who our primary customer is, and we don't feel like we're serving them all. If we can figure out the tools to unleash hidden capacity and hidden potential in our systems, we can serve more, do a better job for those who we do serve, while staying in really necessary budgets, right? You can't just shift the burden to the taxpayer and expect them to keep paying for stuff if they don't see an ROI. When you learn these tools, you get to do both. It's a false false choice. 
and it takes deep thinking to solve it, but it is doable. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think it, it should give people hope that there is an entirely different paradigm, and there's there are tools and techniques that allow you to get there. You you can't stumble into it, really. You can, it's you really need like a, a tour guide to help you get there, but it's there and it's, it's, there. it's possible. It's yeah. there, and you know if I can do it, anyone can. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good stopping point for this episode. I thank you for listening. If you're not already, I encourage you to follow Chris on on LinkedIn. She does really useful posts three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you found something of value today or in one of our prior episodes, please share the show with a coworker, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Or rate it. Yes. Help. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. On our next episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.